sometimes a mistake in an image can be a, a next step to something new that you can use in future. So I was very much attracted by his images when he made multiple exposures. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today we are going to Amsterdam. We're going to talk with Joe Brunnenberg, a photographer who has one of the most amazing and wide-ranging careers that I can imagine. This is the kind of stuff you look at and you think, boy, you know, when I grow up, this is, this is what I want to be doing. His work is not only tremendously insightful photography, but he's into design and short films and music videos. Joe's work is all over the place. Joe, how are you doing today? How's life over in Amsterdam? Uh, Fine. Thank you, Scott, for having me in the Frames Photography podcast series. I'm I'm really proud of being part of the of that podcast series. First of all, I would like to to make a small correction. Uh, you said Amsterdam. Well, Amsterdam is in the Netherlands, and uh, we are close here from Amsterdam. So it's just one hour drive from Amsterdam. But actually, I'm not in Amsterdam, but in the southern part of of the Netherlands. Well, my mistake. I, I apologize for some no reason. Problem, I, no problem. I, Netherlands is such a small country. <laughs> I can't understand such such a mistake. Well, and, and I, I completely sympathize that local distinction. I mean, locality is everything. My lord, I live in a town that borders a much larger, much much more popular town, and and we're proud of the fact that we are not there. So I, I do apologize. Your work, sir, I mean, you were born in 1949, and you say you discovered photography in 1963. That's correct, yeah. Age of 14. Before we get to all this work, all this wonderful work, tell me about discovering photography. Well, it it all started, as you said, in in that year. And when I was young, I I was very much interested in all kinds of technical inventions. I considered photography as a kind of a miracle. And I really wanted to know how it worked. At a certain point of time, I was I was lucky to win an Aqua Clack camera. It's it's a, bo- a very simple box camera. It was a puzzle from the local drugstore, and so I was very glad with that with that uh, first camera because I was I was fourteen years old at that time, and with that box camera, actually my first encounter with photography. Uh, began at that time you had to bring your your film rolls to a photographer to have them processed and to have contact prints made or enlargements made but I rather soon started to to make contact prints at home from the six by nine centimeter negatives so that was that was my first camera and my first experiences with with photography what is it about Taking images, what is it about practicing photography that was appealing? The most important thing, I think, was that you could really capture a moment in time and that you could freeze it. That, that was a kind of, of mag- a magic trick. But 
I was also interested in the technical side of it. How did such a camera work? Because at that time, I didn't have any, you didn't have internet, you didn't have uh, Google. You could go to a library to uh, read a book about photography. But that was only later that I did that kind of things. So it was a kind of a secret device. And also, when I bought my first film rolls, they had such a, a special smell. It, it was a kind of chemical smell, which was very strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, I grew up in a, in a working class family, and I didn't have the chance, I didn't get the chance to continue studying. So I had to go to work when I was 16. But fortunately, I could start, at a, I could start working at a large printing company here in, in my hometown. And uh, my father was working there in the printing department, and he said, "Why not? Why not work here?" So uh, I was fortunate that I could start a training. I could start as a as an apprentice apprentice in the photography department. So I went to school one day a week, and I learned a lot, of course, at school about the principles of photography. And in the company. I worked mostly in, in a dark room to learn the technical side of, of photography because the, the work in the, in the printing company was focused on, on the photographic reproduction process. We were reproducing all kinds of artworks for, for the printing process and we were producing color separations uh, in order to be able to make printing plates. Mm-hmm. So... The experiences that I gathered over there, I could also use for my own, for my own photography. So that was a nice combination. That that sounds wonderful and and lucky at the same time. Not only for the technical side of of the printing process, but how many thousands of images had to cross your eyes when you were working there? Do you remember what kind of work you were processing? The the company at that time was specialized in printing of art books, printing of art reproductions, printing of encyclopedias. So, as you say, I have seen many thousands of images, not only photography, but also all kinds of art. You know, that has had a a big influence on, on how I look. I have been looking at the world. So that was really a great time at the printing company. I'm as jealous as I can possibly be for, for that kind of a background. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was really it was really worthwhile. At that time, the, the the work in the printing company, my work was was focused, as I said, on the on the reproduction process, and this was in the mid sixties. The the technology was, of course, not at the same level as we have now. You know, with with digital mm-hmm. uh, with digital equipment, etc. But it was still called graphic arts because there was not so much automation in it. And I remember that uh, I worked a lot on, on, on different uh, reproduction cameras, and some of them even had a size of over one square meter. So the negatives could be over one square meter. Oh, uh, heavens. And, and these were used for the, for the, for the art reproductions. Mm-hmm. 
Joe, you, I mean, you, so you get this job at 16, and a couple of years later, according to your biography, you left. You hit the road. You went to Europe and the Far East and Africa. Well, that, that, that's right. But that, that was when I was working at the oh, okay. company. So it was not that I left the company. Uh, no, at that time, I, I met another photographer. He was living in the neighborhood here, an amateur photographer. He was very skilled in making beautiful images and also in photographic printing processes. So we became friends and we have traveled a lot through through many countries. And by doing so, I've also been able to develop my own style of photography. This photography has been really important for my personal development. It has been a lifetime friend. And in 2016, so not not so long ago, he passed away. And uh, as a tribute, together with a friend, we produced a book with his photographic work. And now all of his work is in in the local museum over here. We were lucky that the museum would accept uh, this remarkable uh, work. That's very nice. That's the kind of stuff that makes my heart move. When you were doing the travels, you say that you were concentrating mainly on landscape. Is that yes. just because of what you were presented with, or was that a choice? Well, I was I was quite young, and I hadn't seen so much of the world. So everything was new. If you're in that age, let's say between 16 and, and, and 20 or so, then if you are traveling, everything is new. And for me, it was very attractive to make landscapes. At that time, I also started using the first, uh, the first Kodachrome film. So as such, that, that also was a new world for me. <laughs> oh, man. Do, do you think your work in the... In the the printing office, did that influence your sense of composition when you're doing landscapes? I certainly think so. Not the work as such, but I think moreover all the images that I've seen in the printing company, all the paintings of the famous artists around the world, you know, that has been of of, of great influence, more so than than the technical side of of the printing company. We're going to get to some of your contemporary work here in, in just a minute. And for those of you that are listening, yes, there is a website. It's joebrunnenberg.com, J-O, not J-O-E, J-O-B-R-U-N-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. It is an extraordinarily well put together website, very detailed, lots of wonderful images. Joe, it, it strikes me as a bit of a, of a turn then when you start beginning on the Atlantic Wall Project. Um, yes. or was, Or was this a natural evolution of the landscape, the travel, and the education. Yeah, How did this project get started and come to be? Well, that's uh, already so- somewhat later. I should probably know that in Europe in the 60s and the 50s and 60s, the 35-millimeter cameras were, were very popular when I grew up. But on a certain day, I, I discovered the work of American photographers like Edward Weston and Ansel Adams uh, through their books. Mm-hmm. And I was so much impressed by their careful uh, compositions and their, their fabulous technique. So especially the, the beautiful tonal qualities of, of, of the images and the wealth of details that appealed to me very much. So somewhere in the 80s, I decided to switch from 35 millimeter to a larger size camera. So I bought a 
a Linov Technica 4x5 inch and a set of lenses that offered completely new possibilities. So from that time on, I also started, uh, gradually started taking photographs of buildings and the Atlantic World Series was the very first of that. But at the same time, I, I discovered also works by photographers like Arthur Tress, but also Robert Maplethorpe. So the, the male nude to me uh, was also a very fascinating type of image. So in that series of Atlantic Wall, I, I, I don't know if you know anything about the Atlantic Wall, I guess so. I do indeed, yes. Yes. Go ahead and describe it for people that don't. Yes, it's, it's, it's a series of defense buildings that the Germans have built along the European coastlines to defend them from, from invasion. Fortunately, it didn't work very well, but these are very strange buildings. Uh, sometimes they have fascinating architecture. So confronting these typical images where so many young people have died with the vulnerability of the of the, the the naked man was an interesting subject at that at that point of time these these are moving and dramatic pictures i'm curious though about the way you describe it because what you just said actually matches what's on the website as well when you say that your photographs confront these places so you're not looking for harmony you're not looking for balance you're you're actively seeking confrontation with the soft lines of the human body against the hard lines of the concrete and steel of, of the bunkers and such. That's great. Composition as confrontation. Do, do you see antagonism in there or is it just trying to get the argument to go a different way? As a matter of fact, when I started this series, I didn't have a pre-planned idea how to do it. When you are at, at such a place with friends who also our models. Without a written out concept, I started taking photographs. And in the selection process, finally, you end up with a series that, to me at least, well, it tells a story. Mm -hmm. But I didn't work on that series very long because after some time, I thought these images are too concrete. So I wanted to to have a little bit more fantasy in the images. And at that time, I I had a meeting with uh, Duane Michaels, who I met in, in uh, Amsterdam for a workshop. And he told some very interesting things about photography. And one of the things he said was, if you have an image that you think is not a successful image for any technical reason, have a closer look at it because sometimes a mistake in an image can be a, a next step to something new that you can use in future. So I was very much attracted by his images where he made multiple exposures. And from that time on, I, I used my Linof camera to, to make multiple exposures in camera some people, if they if they look at these images now, they think it's it's made in Photoshop, but of course mm -hmm. it's not. It's these are in camera double exposures, and this was the second series I made after Atlantic Wall, and the, the series is called Escaping Images. 
Yeah, which is also on your website. I'm looking it's at it right now. Website, yes, I still have to scan a number of images because there are only a few of that series there, but the entire series is much more than that. This uh, series of images I made, of course, in, in summertime because <laughs> because of the weather <laughs> and, the, and the temperature. But I was also looking for a similar approach of, uh, let's say, um, images with more layers than just one to produce during winter time in, in a studio. And then I suddenly, I was confronted with illustrations by Leonardo da Vinci from his sketchbooks. And uh-huh. I made from these, uh, from these small, Im- well, very small sketches, I made black and white transparencies, uh, negative transparencies. And I've been using these as, as projections on top of models. And that's, that's the series that is called Imagini Scoperte, of, which means uh, rediscovered images. That's the next series in which mm-hmm. I use these light projections in combination with the male nude. And well, if, if, if I look to these three series, uh, let's say in retrospect, these, these three series in fact, are a kind of a reflection of my my coming out process at that time. Uh, they've played an important uh, role in that way. This is just fantastic. We should mention that you know, that one of these things from the the projection series actually wound up in the New Yorker, illustrating a yes, story by Tobias Wolf. Yes, that's, um, that's right. Yeah, and I'm, I want to go back to just a small technical point, though, because I you know. I, I grew up learning film too, but I was the least sophisticated shooter on the planet at the time. You know, everything on automatic point and press a button was a, the depth of my experience back then. You said that you were doing the multiple images or the multiple exposures for escaping images in camera. Why do it in camera and not just double expose something in the darkroom? <laughs> well, to produce an image, you have a certain concept. And for instance, some of these images I already had in mind before I even went to the place where we made them. So, for instance, uh, one of the images is a man on a very big stone. And it, it looks like as if this is a fossil. And that I had that idea long before. And then it's very nice if you at the beach in somewhere in northern France and there you have these, these huge uh, pebbles on the, on the beach in the size that can easily uh, fit uh, the human body. And then it's nice that at the same spot you can produce that image. Of course, the problem initially was that you never knew exactly what you were going to get uh, in the dark room. So, but, but after some time you get experience in how the two exposures would go together and what exposure time you would need for each individual image on the same negative. So after some time, you you get a kind of control on this system. I, I think that is a really important lesson because there there are so many things in our world that are basically arguing against the knowledge that you need for control. And, and that I think learning to print in the darkroom, I think getting off automatic, all those things are the kind of things that teach you what you're actually holding in your hand. And that influences then, of course, the vision you're able to express. I want to jump forward a little bit, quite a bit, actually, because probably your most um, 
recently known stuff. If you were to tell somebody at a dinner party, I'm going to go take a p- bunch of pictures of water towers, they might pat you on the head and say, you know, go have fun. You know, let me know when you're doing something else. The images of the French water towers are fascinating. So, I mean, tell me where this idea came from. Tell me about, you know, testing it out and tell me about the reception you've been getting. Yes. Well, at first I have to tell that I have done quite some architecture photography in the past. And that was just commercial work for a building company. And every year they sent me a list of 30, 40 newly built buildings in the Netherlands and in Belgium. So what they actually asked me is to make a kind of portrait of of the building. So what they really wanted was not a documentary type of photography, but a kind of a portrait of the building. And that was a very interesting period where I learned a lot about architectural photography. And I liked it a lot. Let let me stop you right there. What is the difference in, in architectural photography? What's the difference between documentation and portrait? Uh, well, yeah, possibly we, we come also to the question why photographing uh, water towers, whereas the backers already have done so. And, you know, that's, that's a big difference because the backers, they, they are a real example of documentary photography. Their aim was not to make a, a very nice image. Their aim was to document the, all these, these typical buildings, these in the industrial buildings. And so that's also the reason that they decided that all their photographs should be from a similar point of view, a similar uh, focal length of lenses, they didn't use wide angle and telephoto lenses, but it was always always the same view angle. And also what they didn't want to do is to add the effect of, of light and shadow. So they never took photographs with the bright sunlight and with shadows. And and even they, they didn't like to to include clouds in their in their images because what they just wanted to show is the, the shape of the building. And they did it in a great way, of course. It's fantastic. It's fantastic work that they have done over so many years. But but my approach always has been different because if you make a portrait of a person, you try to to make an image that is also pleasing to the eye. And also pleasing for the for the model itself, and the same is is for for water towers because I consider the the French water towers uh, not all of them of course because they are also very simple and and not not too interesting uh, water towers but some of them are so special and they have such a, a fantastic shape that they really deserve their own portrait and that means that. If you want to make the best possible portrait of someone, you also need, at least in my case, I think I need good light and good shadow and sometimes certain lighting conditions and also clouds. They add to the atmosphere of of the portrait. I think that's the basic difference between the way I always have done architectural photography compared to photographers who just document a building. I don't mean, of course, that that is less or something is better or worse. It's just different. It's a different style. 
It is indeed. I mean, I'm looking at the very first picture on your website for this collection. There, there's an old farm building of some sort and then a beautiful striped water tower. Tell me the story of taking this image, just this particular one. What to say about this image? Well, one of the things I can say is that this water tower doesn't exist anymore at the moment. Oh. It has been demolished. As, as you can see, it's a very old one. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes in France, old water towers that are not functional anymore, they are removed from the landscape. At the same time, in France, they are building a, a new water towers Almost every year again, because in France, water towers still are uh, very important in, in, the, in the system of water supply. In this case, uh, we have been traveling around in that region. And I should say that before I go to France, uh, we prepare a journey. And if I say we, I mean my partner and I, and because we always go together to France for this mm-hmm. type of work. And... We have old maps of France, and on these old maps, uh, a lot of old water towers are indicated, their positions are indicated. So in this case, this one also was on the map. And, you know, sometimes you come across a water tower which isn't interesting at all. But in this case, I found this one was was very interesting because of its age, I guess, and also because of the, the, the small house standing next to it, which which gives an indication of the size, but mm-hmm. also the fact that on the, on, on the top of the water tower, you see there is grass growing, Yes, and yes. which also indicates it's a very old, <laughs> very old water tower. <laughs> and, and what's special about this one are also these, these lines, the decoration with these lines on the water tower itself. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I was lucky in this case that, that there was sufficient to, a space around it so that I could find the best possible position to make a good portrait of the tower. But that, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's very no. difficult to, to find a good, a good point of view. Joe, I'm looking at a picture on your website. You have a solo exhibition in the annex of, of Museum W of this series. So tell me about the viewers or, or the viewing public's response to this. What have people been saying about this whole collection? It was very well received, but I have to say this this exhibition was not just about photographs. At the exhibition, I also have shown uh, two documentaries which mm-hmm. uh, are around the same project. And uh, one of the documentaries is an interview with a Dutch historian who is really fond of, of Dutch water towers. And he compares the, the Dutch water towers and the French water towers in this documentary. Uh, so that's one documentary. The other documentary uh, we made in France, in the neighborhood of, of, of water towers, where we have interviewed people that were, at that point of time, were passing by there or they lived near the water tower. And we asked them all kinds of questions like, do you really think this is a necessity to have such a water tower? Or do you like them? Do you think they are beautiful? Or do you, don't you like them at all? And this, this was really a, a, wonderful, a wonderful experience to get all these different visions from, from the people living near such a water tower. It's a documentary about uh, of about 20 minutes, 
and that was a was very well received as a, as a, as a good companion to the black and white photographs. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. You have a, a great deal of, of experience and, and product with short films and documentaries and stuff. I want to get there in, in just a second, especially the relationship between film, you know, moving pictures and, and still photography. But there, there's one more of your collections that I want to touch on, you know, just briefly here, because I find it uh, personally moving. And, and this is about all of the small shops that are permanently closed. You do not put an end date on this project right now. You, you have it, you know, from 2007 to the present. Are you still working on this? And, uh, and- yes, but the, pro- the problem now is during the last two years that we have the, this corona pandemic. So it's not possible to travel in France at the moment. And so I hope that we soon will be able to travel again because I want to kind of finish this series. I mean, I've, I've worked on it for many years now, but uh, I, I still feel it's not, it's not complete yet. We, we, sh- we should tell everyone that th- this is a series that looks at small shops, family hotels, the, the kind of very personal and, and family-run storefront, which are all permanently closed. You, know, you talk about the social function of small shops going away and the craftsmanship going away. This is a beautiful and really sad collection. Did this begin accidentally did you, or did the idea come to you, you know, middle of the night one day? T- tell me how this came about. Well, in, in most cases, my series always start with one or two photographs that I take of a particular subject. And once I've printed them, because that's that's very essential, <laughs> taking photographs is only finished once you've got a, a finished print in your hands. And when you have two or three prints on such a subject, then suddenly you realize that it's important to document what's happening there. And this this is also in France where all these small shops are over the last decades are disappearing. You know, in many countries like in, in Holland, they already have disappeared for a very long time. I just remember from my childhood this, this type of um, shops, but you cannot find them anymore. But in France, they have existed a, a very long time and it's only the last one or two decades that these shops are disappearing because of the the, the huge supermarkets and the hypermarkets that are built everywhere around the villages and the towns. So it's it's a really dramatic story, as you say, because a lot of craftsmanship is, dis- the craftsmanship is disappearing in France. What's also interesting about these shops that if, if you stand in front of such a shop and you see with how much energy it has been designed and built and also the typography sometimes it's 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 not very professional but you can see there is a lot of love which has been invested in in building such a such a shop 
indeed, that's really very sad if you see this all is going to disappear. It, it is very sad and very beautiful at the same time. You talk about standing in front. This this collection is a bit unusual for you in that every single image is framed exactly the same way. It, it looks like you're standing exactly the same number of feet away. The window is, is, is where it is. Why did you go for the consistent composition with this one? Mm, there is a kind of consistency also in the Water Tower series. Uh, the only difference is with, with, with the Water Tower series, sometimes the portrait mode is better than the horizontal mode. With the shops, in most cases, the, the horizontal uh, size is better. And also, you know, the, the distance, in most cases, it's, it's just the distance from one side of the street to the other side of the street. So in most cases, you have similar, a similar distance over there. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, when you go through them, the, the, the repetition of the storefront becomes its own sort of meaning in, in the collection. And I remember I got to one, it was a green door, it was a charcuterie of some sort, but mm-hmm. there was a little alley to the left and a little disappearing walkway. And mm-hmm. boy, did that, that, that stopped me right there. I wanted to know what was down that alley big time. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 is your work nostalgic or sad? Well, that that's certainly the case for the for the shops for the French shops. Mm-hmm. In the case of, in the case of the water towers, I don't think so because in the case of the water towers, there are many newly built water towers with uh, very expressive architecture, and uh, they are not necessarily nostalgic. I think we are easily attracted to the nostalgic and necessarily attracted to that as photographers. But there is so much more to say as well. Let's make a bit of a leap here to so many pictures going by so fast we have to call it a film. <laughs> T- tell me about your work as a filmmaker. Well, that has started with the fact that I'm an amateur uh, musician. Which I like that, that, that I did not know. <laughs> uh, uh, which I like a lot. So I, 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 at a certain point of time, I started making short music videos there were already so many uh, music videos on YouTube and Vimeo just showing the musician only. And, and, and in many cases, this is not very interesting. So I thought, why not try to make a combination of music with interesting imagery? And that's the way it started with the short uh, music videos. And I still continue uh, doing them uh, almost every week. I work on a new one. And it's a real challenge uh, once you have a, a piece of music uh, which you like to find imagery that in some way relates to the music. It's in harmony with the music or it's in contrast with the music. There are so many options, of course, that you have there. And, and sometimes I use existing images like existing uh, video fragments from uh, movies, from Italian or French movies, or sometimes even I find very interesting uh, videos from amateur videographers and I ask their permission if I can use it. Of course, I do edit a bit <laughs> to change the, the image according to my, my own taste so that it fits together with, with the music. And that's the way I started making short movies. And the first, well, let's say a real short movie was the one which I produced together with a friend. 
at the occasion when photographer that I mentioned before, who has been a friend, a lifetime friend, when he passed away, we were thinking about what should we do with his ashes after the cremation. So, and the family, they didn't know what to do with them. And we said, why not bring the ashes to, to a region where he loved to take photographs? And that's in northern France. And then we decided to to go back to all these places that he has visited in the past and where he has taken photographs and to make a short film out of that. And that film is also on the website. And, and it's on YouTube as well. It's, it's on it, YouTube it, as well. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody about it, folks. You got to go watch it. it. It is a wonderful, wonderful short film. Joe, do you find yourself saying different things or... or philosophically different things as a filmmaker than a still photographer? Oh, that's a difficult question. I think there is a lot of overlap between the two. And even, you know, in, in one of my in music videos, I have used these images from the the French shops, the closed, uh, closed French shops, uh, in combination with a, a piece of music which I composed myself in the style of a French uh, musette music. And that's also on the website. So in that case, I, I'm using still images in a video. I don't know if you've seen that one. but that, So there, is an over, there certainly is an overlap between the two. For instance, in the, in the video about uh, this photographer, there is also a part where you see that we are taking a Polaroid image, an SX-70 SX Polaroid image. And in the film, you, you can see the image appearing, the image of the landscape. So also there you can see an overlap between still photography and a moving image. That's very cool. I, I can spend hours in your website just going through uh, all the work that you've done. And and there's a couple other things I want to touch on before we get back to a final note about the, the still photography. I'm looking at the, at the section of your website where you talk about your work as a designer or, or your design work. And I, I, I love the bit with the, the found alphabets, the, the the architectural alphabets and stuff. And then you have, you, you say here, as the French say, for the sheer pleasure of the eye, you're finding these shapes. I love that. Is that sort of a, a criterion that you carry around? You know, is this image pleasing? Is, is, is that one of your benchmarks? I think so. That's, that's important, but also it's important if a series of images are interesting enough. It, in most cases, I, I'm not so much interested in a singular image but in most cases i work in series and in this case it was the alphabet and in france they say pour le plaisir de jeu so indeed for the pleasure of the eye it was a good opportunity that you can make uh, a series which is has a limitation in size because the alphabet has a limited number of, <laughs> of characters so i i just wanted to make Two series in this case. One one of them is found found characters, a found alphabet, and the other one, well, it's not so much a found alphabet, but it's what you want to see in it. Sometimes you you see structures on on in the street or wherever, 
and they are not really characters, but they can be. You can read them as a character, and that's the, that's the second uh, the second series. But uh, as a matter of fact, this was just for fun. I, I like to do this type of work just for fun, and it, it is a lot of fun to go through them as well. Now. I got to ask you, because again, this is the stuff I look at and I I wish I would have been there. You took a bunch of photographs that you hoped would become dinner plates. Yes. (laughs) But unfortunately, I I didn't win that prize. (laughs) Well, you know, there's a part of me that I'm not entirely sure I want to see, you know, gravy and, and, and that kind of stuff running across the images. But tell me about the challenge of doing this, of conceiving of images I mean, round, yeah, we got that part. But but conceiving of images that would then become a compelling and interesting dinner plate. This was uh, organized by a Belgian organization. It's it's an hotel where they have all the hotel rooms are decorated with, with photographic works by famous photographers. So it's really, the owner is really fond of photography. And uh, they wanted to produce dinner plates based on photography. This was a kind of contest for a number of years. And that was a real challenge to find the subject that fits within the circular shape of, of, of a, a dinner plate. Well, you know, for, for I think three years I made a, a series for this contest, and one of one of the series is with all kind of fruits and vegetables because they often have a, a circular shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, a second series was reflections of of wine in glasses, alcoholic drinks in a glass. Well, it's difficult to describe. <laughs> you should <laughs> you you should see it. You should see it on the website. That makes it easier to to understand. Joe, I'm looking at the 2004 entry you put into this, where you, you call it UFOs, where you have you know uh, kitchen utensils and clouds combined. Oh yes. these, I, I mean, I, these are fantastic, fantastic images, and I don't know if I'd put a piece of food on it. I, I wouldn't want to get in the way of the image. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I so much. To imagine when, when you get a slightly different format, a slightly different you know challenge, and, and boy, you, you've you've come up with ways to answer these. These are whether they became dinner plates or not is irrelevant. These are really deeply imaginative. Uh, and, and also, also this series uh, was just fun to to do. You know, once you once you have an idea to use uh, all these different types of kitchen utensils uh, to to make photographs. I even bought many of these <laughs> new things to because, of course, you have in, in the kitchen you have a lot of utensils, but some some of them were so strange that I bought them specially for this project. <laughs> like like the two with these uh, well these utensils with which you can hold they call it in france they call it escargot i don't know what's yeah. called in, in uh, escargot, snails. escargot. Yep. okay <laughs> so you know these two are almost persons from another planet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with, with, with a beautiful cloud behind them and, and a nice yeah. sky behind that joe I, I i admire the fun that you're having so what one last question we're coming out of covid now with any luck things seem to be opening up a little bit what are you working on what's next well, you know, the problem now is, as I said, I cannot go to, we cannot go to France to continue with our series, but there is never a dull moment here. 
I have been uh, organizing, reorganizing my archive. And also, I didn't mention, but I have been collecting photographs myself for about 40 years now. I st started collecting photography in the 80s, early 80s, within the team of the male nude. And uh, I started you know, at that time, I bought images by Arthur Tress and and, um, and many, many other photographers. And it's it's a huge collection now. And at the moment, I'm working on a, on a book of this collection. And the idea is that once I have this book, uh, it's it's easier to find uh, a good exhibition space to to expose this work. So that that's one project I've been working on. And another project that uh, I've been working on is about my father. Unfortunately, he passed away a long time ago, but uh, during the World War II, he had to work in Germany. He never told me very much about that time, uh, but I've been able to find a lot of information about what happened there and why he came back from there. And uh, from that story, I'm now I also making a small book with photographs because we tried to reconstruct the route that he had followed from our region here to Germany, where he had to work, and also the way back home, because he was not allowed to go back. But they mm -hmm. they they fled. Is that correct? They fled. Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. So uh, together with a friend, and this friend, uh, I I spoken to this friend many years ago, and he told me the whole story, and that's so. That's such an impressive story because he went there when he was only 17 years old. He had to work in Germany during the, war, the first year of the war. And we succeeded in reconstructing this route. And uh, during our visit to all these places, I, I took photographs. And this will be also a small, a small booklet which will be illustrated with photographs. Oh, I'm going to look forward to both projects. Thank you very much, sir. I've enjoyed this time. This has been some fascinating information and magnificent photography. It was a pleasure to uh, talk to you. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.